Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Perland. I'm the author of Modern Horse Training and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Kimalia. And we've both come to this podcast with topics. So Dominique, what's your topic? You won't then- believe the one that I want to bring up. Which I is? want to talk about body awareness. Aha! Excellent. Can you believe it coming from me? The girl who used to run away every time this topic would come up. So yeah, I'm you know, I'm really evolving <laughs> in face of this topic. So we've known each other since I guess 2010, 11. We were doing the second show of Cavalier. Okay. And I called you because I was starting to have all these retired horses from the first show. And <clears throat> we were doing some clinics on the farm with the retired horses. And I re- and so I would participate in all those clinics. Oh. And I remember, of course, by then, you already were doing body awareness segments, <laughs> clinics. Yes. Oh, and I remember that I felt trapped. I was like, oh. And out of politeness and respect for you, I would stay and do the segments, but I was like, I want to be doing something else. else. Yeah. And that that was true for me for many years where yep. I felt, you know, I want to learn about horses. I don't want to do, I don't want to be aware of my own body. I, <laughs> I, It's boring. I don't want to do that. I've lived in it all my life. I'm aware of it <laughs> or whatever the... Talk to me about horses, not my own body. And and in the coaching sessions, Anita Schnee is there. Yes. Every every session. She's she's a very pleasant person to be around. Yes. Start and, with. and I should add that the coaching set these are the coaching sessions that are associated with the online clinics. Yeah, so the people, new the yeah. new ones. Because yeah. you're all this all these virtual now yes. clinics that you're yes. doing. And we had her too as a guest on the podcast. Yeah. But I mean, she's been there and and a few coaching sessions ago, I kind of made my coming out <laughs> where I said, you know, I find these body awareness segments, exercises challenging. There's yep. a resistance in me. I want to be doing something else. I don't want to be doing that. And I feel like I know in my head that there is value that I should expose myself to it, which is already kind of a step forward. Yes. To yes. Where I was in 2011, where I was really just doing it out of politeness. But now I felt, okay, you should expose yourself to it, but still not enjoying it, not really finding a big motivation inside. And so when I made my coming out, when I shared my resistance with the other people in the sessions, we had a nice discussion with Anita. And, you know, one of the takeaways for me was that to try and find the joy in it, the pleasure in it, that, you know, it was it was a possibility to find these things enjoyable. And I see it. when you talk about them, I see how you enjoy them, how fascinated you are by them. And, you know, it's it's not that 
I cannot be still because I can. You know, I've practiced meditation for many years. And one of the things I learned through that practice was that for me, the way to access the present moment, the best way was not mindful breathing. I hated right. doing mindful breathing. Yeah. Was through sound. You know, I can sit on my porch and listen to the crickets, the tree frogs, the birds for half an hour, an hour. I, I never get bored. I feel it so delicious in my ears. Mm. So I understand, you know, that you for some people sitting on the porch listening to crickets for 45 minutes, like, come on, it's boring. Can we do something else? And so... You know, I know there are things like eating your vegetable is something that's for some people, it's something you need to do, but they don't like it. I love vegetables personally. I would eat vegetables all the time. So, yes. you know, it was, I could see that for some people, it might be a very enjoyable thing to do these exercises, but it was not for me. But it seemed like something that I should do that there would be value for me in, in persisting and, you know, staying in contact with it. And because I like your work, I have no choice because you keep <laughs> And, you know, like the good teacher you are, I've traveled from no to maybe, and I'm still evolving and I'll let you know what happened. So, so there was something happened so first of all, in the last coaching session, we just had one two days ago. Yep. I love it again. I'm really liking them more and more. And so you talked about Feldenkrais, Moshe Feldenkrais, the man behind the method, the Feldenkrais method that is at the base of all the body awareness, I think. Or part of it. It, it is a very strong influence, influence on the body awareness, but there are other influences as well. Okay, so first of all, I thought his biography, which you, and we're not going to go into it today. Right. People want to Google it. It's all there. And I thought he had a really interesting history. Fair. And actually his history is kind of, because he was he was alive from 1904 to the 80s. So the last century and reading his biography is like reading the, the world history. Yes. And so it's- and he, he he was born in Ukraine, which is sort of interesting yeah. given the current. Yeah, yeah and, and it, it's funny because right now I'm I'm watching something on Netflix. It's called The Beauty Queen of Jerusalem. And it's it's the history of the Jews and the Arab at the time of the British mandate there. And and so I'm really into all that. And reading his, his biography, I felt like, oh my God, it's it's I don't know. It's so interesting because it's, you know, the history of the world. Anyway, but, and then in the course, because right now, or in the, I should say, I keep calling it the course, but it's the online clinic. I'm in the second clinic right now, the one okay. that's called Extinction, Friend or Foe. Yes. And you sneaky person, you... <laughs> You've managed to put in some of those body awareness segments in the course. Yes. 
And, and I, I'll come back to that later because there's another point I want to make about those exercises. But in that section, there's a horse that we see. It's a video of a horse who won't move forward. Okay. And the handler, who is not actually his owner, is working with him okay. in, in these really, really small weight shifts. Yes. And so this horse just, and she has a lead on. So she's going to point of contact and she's just waiting there for the tiniest weight shift. And it's so small, the weight shifts, that you actually show us the video two, three times so we can really see it. You give us yes. some cool references so we can see that the back is moving just a little bit. And sure enough, after two, three, four clicks, he takes a step forward. And there's a question in the course. Someone asks, I'm assuming that she can feel the shift through the lead rope? Question mark. Oh, yeah, I remember the question. And so in your answer, you're telling that in the video, we're looking at the hind end, but possibly this handler may see the, the, the differences in the chest because she's in the front of the horse and that, you know, there's a ripple effect throughout the body when there's a weight shift. But for me, the point that was really that struck, really struck me was you said in this case, where the horse was so not moving when he shifted, it was very clear to this handler. And you yes. said, I say to this handler for a reason, because she works regularly with a Feldenkrais practitioner. And you said, as the handler becomes more body aware, the ability to detect these small changes in a horse increases. Yes. And for me, for the, like, for the first time, I would say, really, I found a reason, a motivation for this work. Wow. Because it's not so much for me, and I know that the way I use my body is super important for the horse. I know that. But this is different. This is not about how I use my body and how that influences. It's about being able to detect the changes in my horse. Being aware of these little, little, little tiny shifts of, of, of weight shifts or movements and that the fact that she's exposed to it on a regular basis through the exercise in her own body will help her see them in her horse. I really, that's, that really talked to me. Yeah. Like really? Yeah. So I think, you know, sometimes you need a change in the way you think about something. And yeah. for me, it changes the way I think about the body awareness. It yeah. opens. It nudges me more in the direct. I was already in that direction, yeah. you know, because you you've, you've somehow <laughs> you succeeded in taking me from a no answer to a maybe to a yes. And this is what this handler was doing with this horse, because this horse was saying, no, I'm not moving forward. And we always say, we've said this on the podcast many times, when your horse says no, try to go back to a place where he says yes. Yeah. And and so he said yes to her. I can shift my weight a little bit. And yes, I can shift a little bit more. And yes, 
And finally, yes, I can take a step forward. So yeah, so doing these body awareness with the idea that it will help me see even tinier movements in my course is really something that I'm going to keep now in so the, the the body awareness does so many, so many, so many, so many good things. And they're all about the horse. And then one of the side benefits of it is that we stay sounder in our bodies. But that's just, that's, that's, okay, that's nice. But it's about the horse. That's why I became interested in them. First, I'll just say that the before and after images that I show of that horse at the what he, how he was standing at the beginning of the clinic and how he was standing at the end of the clinic are just astounding. He's one of the, the examples that I use a lot when showing why this work is important because boy, was he a higgledy-piggledy horse at the start. But when you get to the rope handling clinic- I can't wait. Yes. And that's something else I evolved for because that again, I used to not be my cup of tea and now that's all I want to hear about. Yeah. And- and the reason that, that the rope handling clinic, it's like you have to wait because I want you to go through the clinic systematically is because there are layers of preparation that will make the rope handling more successful. If you go down the lead rope using the bone rotations that I teach with the make it happen tension that is in many, many people's bodies, you will have very unhappy horses. Mm-hmm. So we have to peel some layers Mm-hmm. Uh, to prepare a handler for good rope handling. So in the rope handling clinic, there's a example, non-example video clip. And and I've, I've shared this lesson many, many times in clinics. I've shared it at the Clicker Expo. So people listening to this may be familiar with it, but you have a handler who is holding the horse's end of the lead rope. And the instructions to that handler are to get really, really tight and tense. And then the person who's at the handler's end of the lead rope slides up the lead rope. And the oh, and the, the person who's holding the horse's end of the lead rope is to get really, really tense and close her eyes. And then she is to tell us when she can feel the handler on the lead rope. So the handler who's sliding up the lead rope She'll begin to slide up and she'll slide a little further and she'll slide a little further. And often her hand will go all the way up to the snap and it will bump the other person's hand before the person says, oh, I can feel that. And then you say, now shake all that out. And what I want you to do is hold the lead rope really lightly and close your eyes. And now tell me when you can feel me coming down the line. And I'll begin to slide down and I may get only an inch or two or three or four. And the person will say, I can feel that. Mm-hmm. What that's telling us is that when you have tension in your body, whether you're the horse or the handler, you are blocking feel. Mm-hmm. So that's a macro illustration of what was making sense to you. That this person who has done a lot of the Feldenkrais work and has developed more subtle body awareness and has done the kind of work where a lot of the holding patterns are released. So I can do a demo with you where I slide up the lead rope with good handling mechanics. 
And as I slide up the lead rope, I can go into a neutral position and then I can just wiggle my toes and you'll back up. You'll feel the weight shift through my arm, through the lead. You'll feel it and you'll respond to just my wiggling my toes. But if I lock up my shoulders, I could stomp my feet and you wouldn't feel it. So we can block feel by where we have holding patterns in our bodies. So that's important to know, okay, why is this horse not responding right now? Oh, look at that. I'm holding my breath. Mm -hmm. So let me just take a breath. Oh, look, my horse just responded. It can be on that level that we look at it. I really became addicted to the body awareness because I'm not a coordinated athletic person. You know, I was never the person that you wanted to pick first for the softball team. If I hit the ball at all, which was highly unlikely, it probably only went a couple of inches. So, you know, I, I'm not a natural athlete. And there were a lot of things that I really needed to figure out. And this is kind of fun because it's very related to the topic that I want to talk about. But I'm sure most of us who were horse addicted, when we were little, we played, we played horse. We pretended that we were a horse. So we went cantering around, you know, uh, pretending that, that we were a horse. And I remember when I was trying to figure out just the basics of what is a bend, never mind what shoulder in and haunches in, but what is a bend? And then picking up a canter lead. And so other people would go, would go out jogging. I would go out cantering. And so I, I would be, I'd be going down my road and I'd be cantering along trying to figure out, okay, how do you, how do you canter? And then how do you change leads? Oh, okay. And if a car went by, you know, as soon as I saw headlights, I would just, I'm just a normal person walking <laughs> along the side of the road. And then the car would go by and I'd pick up a canter again because I, I needed I needed to figure out what a canter was about. And I think if we rely just on, you know, and this is something that I've been told in clinics where people will say, well, I can't learn by watching. And I always think, oh, you're a poor horse. Because mm -hmm. what they're saying is, I have to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, I have to get out there and and do it. I can't learn by watching it. Or I can't learn by reading. I have to get on my horse and ride. And I and I just want to say, you're a poor horse, because that means that all of your learning is taking place. Yeah, it is expense. Uh, at his expense. Mm -hmm. And there are some things that you can work out without the horse being present. Yes, you should. You should, because that saves a lot of wear and tear and confusion on the part of your horse. Mm -hmm. So if I can go out cantering and figure out, you know, the, that current question that I was having at that stage about the canter without the horse, that's all part of body awareness. Plus, it's fun good exercise, all of that sort of thing. But it, it's an important question. So one of the things also, that when you work with a Feldenkrais practitioner or someone of that, of that sort, you begin to learn what you own. 
know, what is your baseline normal? So if I know what I own and then I'm working a horse or I'm riding a horse, put it this way. If I know sitting in this chair that I'm sitting in, what the normal feel in my pelvis is, as I think about the pressure of my body on the chair. And then I get on a horse and I suddenly become aware that my right side feels a lot lower than it normally feels, Mm -hmm. then I can begin to say, wait a minute, that's not me. That's not that, I don't own that. Normally my hips would feel to me, would feel level. And so either the saddle is crooked or the horse is crooked, Mm -hmm. but that's not something I own. Now, if I normally sit in a chair and if I think about as I'm sitting in a chair that my right side is slumped and that's my normal and I get on the horse and my right side is slumped, then I can say, you know, I, I may have to take responsibility for that. And if I'm serious about my riding, then I'll go work with somebody because having a slumped right side is going to, over time, be detrimental to my horse's soundness and well-being. So I'll, I'll do that work because that's important. But if I know what my baseline is, and say I'm watching a horse and I'm not sure what's going on with that horse. One of the things that I've learned to do because because I played horse is I can mimic what I'm seeing. And often when you mimic, and I know I'm a biped and the horse is a quadruped, but if you watch the movement and you look at, wow, the horse is coming down, sort of coming down, landing hard on the right front. And so I'll walk, say, a circle doing that. And I will observe the effect that that has on the rest of me. And oftentimes that will help me to understand the soundness issues that that particular horse is experiencing. And it can help me to see the movement pattern in the horse that I need to be aware of as I'm asking for complex movement. Mm -hmm. All of that is about the horse. It was learned by me going through, you know, using me, my body, as my tool, as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of it is because I'm interested in the horse. I'm interested in me as it affects the horse. Right, that that part, I always kind of, saw but yeah. the part about being better increasingly better at noticing the small changes in yeah. the course somehow it wasn't that obvious to me as it was there after seeing that yeah. particular video where the shifts were really tiny so it just became really real for me yeah. so it, it shows that you know it's that whole thing of we need the exposure. Yeah, and, and it took because, 30 years to get here. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's quite possible that you've seen that video before because I've shown it. I'm sure. Various, but for whatever reason, it resonated with you now. It did. 
And, you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy those exercises tomorrow, but it's opening me up more and more and more to them. Like, yes. and the other thing too, that I really liked or like about the clinics, the fact that they are virtual. Yes. When those exercises come up, there are two things I can do. I can either say, I am not in the mood for this. Right. I'm not in a good predisposition right now. I want to know more about what she was just talking about. So I'm going to skip over it. And I'm going to come back because I want to come back. There's no way I'm not going right. to. But I want to come back at a moment. I'm setting myself up to like them. I'm going to come back when I'm well disposed, when yes. I'm really in the mood to go through this kind of exercise, which you cannot do if you're in a real life clinic, because that's when the exercise right. is. And so right. if you're not in the mood, tough luck, just go through it and yeah. smile and wait till they're over. Yeah. But in this case, I don't have to do it then and there. I can do them later tonight or whenever I feel that, you know, I'm in a in a good predisposition. So yeah. that's a little thing, but for me, it, it will make it even more pleasant because I will always make sure I'm in the mood when I do start them. So yeah. I won't, they will be more positively conditioned. And, and what you're going to find as you go through the clinics is the body awareness explorations are very sneaky because I start out sort of with the, with the basics, with the foundation form of them. And then in each clinic, I add layers to them. I add complexity and nuance to them because where I'm taking you to is essentially the Tai Chi walk and an understanding of lateral flexions and very specifically the three flip three and hip shoulder shoulder and how that relates to building collection. And as you go through the body awareness explorations in each clinic and add the layers that are built in clinic by clinic by clinic. By the time you are in the later clinics, you will be exploring lateral work in a way that is just absolutely mind-bending, mind-opening. And oh my goodness, this is so cool. This is why the horses give us this incredible movement. Because you will, you'll discover it for yourself, in yourself, and it translates directly to the horses. It's very sneaky and very cool. So this kind of ties in really well with my other question, if you allow me, before you get to it. Sure. So I wanted to, we're talking about lateral flexion and small, small movements. So I want to talk about what a bend is. Okay. okay. Because in the last coaching session, we were looking at people working on different exercises, the multiple mats lesson and the backing in a square lesson. And I'm not going to describe the whole lesson, just so you know that in in both those lessons, the horse will be bending. Yep. And so I want to talk about the difference between flexing and overflexing. Okay. Because there was a a moment in the coaching session when I took a note. So, so, so let me just explain really rapidly, just maybe the multiple math. It's probably easier for this lesson so that people follow what I'm asking, the question I'm asking. So let's say you're on a mat, you're, you're looking at 12 o'clock 
and there's a mat at three o'clock and you want to take your, your horses on, you could be at Liberty on a lead, it doesn't matter. You want to go to three o'clock. And so what you'll do is you will be in grownups are talking on the mat. You will click your horse for grownups are talking and you will feed your horse. Let's say you're on the left side. You will feed your horse so that his head is slightly off to the right side on the way to the mat at three o'clock. And so where exactly do you put your hand? Because you could put it at one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock. You could really overflex your horse. Right. And one of the comments too that you made during the coaching session last Saturday was, you should always make sure that your hand is in the vertical plane of the nose. And I thought, oh, I want her to talk more about that. What does she mean by that? So where to put your hand? What is a small bend exactly? So would you say, so let's say I'm going to give another example where I'm standing on the left of my horse and I want to bend him a little bit towards me this time. I just want to bend him and start understanding what a small bend is so is a small so if my horse's nose is at 12 o'clock so his, his whole crest is looking at 12 o'clock ahead of him I'm at nine o'clock okay or nine between nine and ten let's say so what's a bend is it 11 o'clock is it 10 o'clock where should I work and so because you know, when I'm when I'm doing these exercises, the multiple mats or the backing in a square, I want to know how far I should be displacing the head of my horse. So if you look at the click that teaches the step-by-step guide in pictures or the click that teaches riding with the clicker books, I think both of them contain, I use the, the same graphic. There's a graphic you're looking from above down on the happened to be Robin and you're just looking at the head and neck yeah and in the first image his nose is lined up with his tail and then we gradually show him taking his nose further and further and further to the side so the expression is straightness is the perfection of left and right horses can have their nose at 12 and their tail at six and be very crooked in between and we can you know we can have our feet on the ground and our head, you know, above our shoulders and be very crooked underneath, you know, in between. So just because the top of my head is over center of my feet doesn't mean that everything in between isn't a mess. And the same thing happens with horses. And when you get on a really crooked horse, it can get really confusing when you are trying to ask for even something as simple as a turn. Just a basic, simple turn. Never mind picking up something like a, a canter depart. And over time, that crookedness will put uneven strain and stress on the joints and have an effect on soundness. And humans know that from all the sore backs that they have, for example, and all the trips that they make to the chiropractor, which is you know, they'd be better off going to a Feldenkrais practitioner, but that's another topic, not the subject of, of this podcast. <laughs> yes, it's just my bias. 
But if they have a really good chiropractor, maybe they're all right. Anyway, so just because your nose is at 12 and your tail is at six doesn't mean that you are straight. So bend matters in terms of helping horses to be organized in their bodies so that they are not putting extra stress and strain on their joints. And so in that graphic of Robbins, his nose is at 12. And what you begin with is just a really small little ask, which is like the small little ask of the horse that you were describing earlier. You just want the smallest little, I, I'm not trying to draw your head around to the side. I'm going down to a point of contact. And what I want really is a hello. Just an acknowledgement of I'm on the left rein. You're aware that I'm on the left rein. And so you're on the left side. You're saying, oh, hi there. And the way that you say, oh, hi there, is by softening just a little bit in your jaw, a little bit in your head orientation to the left. If the horse went off and looked to the right, you would say that he's, he's not saying hello, he's saying goodbye. You know, if I'm on the left rein and I slide down the, the left rein and the horse takes his head off to the right, He's leaving. <laughs> He's saying, yeah. I'm out of here. But you could still consider, because in the multiple math lesson, for instance, the one that I was describing. Right, but that's I, not that. So so we pay, call that a bend. Yeah, but we're, we're setting that up very deliberately. But be patient with, so, okay. let, me, so we, okay, know, let, me, let me answer the question. <clears throat> and, and if we put in too many sidebars, it becomes confusing. So I, I'm going to slide down that lead. I'm going to slide down the left lead. And what I want my horse to do is just soften his jaw, just soften his awareness to say, oh, hi there, and on the left side. And his nose, plane of his face, will start to move from 12 o'clock to 11 o'clock on the left side. Yeah. It's just a tiny, tiny little movement. In those body awareness explorations that we've been talking about, I have you explore these, you know, that tiny movement of your head and your neck from 12 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And what, how do you move? What do you have to release or find or let go of? to move, to make that tiny little movement. And how far through your body do you feel it? Where does the movement begin? What blocks it? All of those things become important. As the horse begins to say hello and move his nose a little bit to the side, it's like bending a coat hanger. The movement becomes softer, it becomes freer. The movement becomes larger. And so instead of just moving a little bit, the horse is going to start to move from 12 o'clock more towards 10 o'clock. And in that process, he's going to release and soften at the pole. 
So you'll start to see wrinkles coming in just the jowl area. You'll have a nice, this nice little softening at the pole. Very neat. And you'll also see that, to use simple language, that the long muscle of his neck is going to begin to relax and soften. So on the left side of his body, he's going to be able to bend his neck. And on the right side, the muscles are going to release so that he can lengthen the right side of his body. So he's able to bring his head around just a little bit more. So now he's able to come comfortably to 10 o'clock. And you're going to continue to bend the coat hanger to ask for these subtle little gives. And as you do, what this horse is going to discover is that he can lift from the base of his neck. And so you're going to feel this real lift up from the base of his neck. So his neck telescopes up and out and his head can come around even further. So he can bend his neck and he'll have this really lovely deep bend of the neck and you'll see wrinkles coming along through the sort of in front of the base of his neck and and he's really learning how to collect so he's learning how to lift from the base of his neck horses do not have a sense of well that's perfection i should stop now so if you continue you slide down the lead and the horse is learning oh if I bring my nose to the side, she clicks and reinforces me. So let me bring my head to the side. And it's getting easier and easier for him. So now instead of stopping between 12 and just before nine o'clock, really, he's going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And when a horse goes past the base of his neck, he's now over flexing. Mm-hmm. So at this point, what you will see is his nose is going to come out from under his eyes. So we look at a, at a horse you know, straight on, you'll see that beautiful long horse's head and his nostrils will be, if you, if you dropped a plumb line, it would be on the plumb line. You know, if you dropped a plumb line, it ran from the, between his eyes straight down, his nostrils will be on that plumb line. But now... As he comes past the base of his neck, his nose is going to come out to the side. And so his, his nose is no longer under his eyes. So he's the horse who's scratching a fly bite on the side of his body. Mm-hmm. And it's perfectly fine for a horse to scratch a fly bite on his side. We like them to be that flexible. But when you're talking about training, What that means is that the horse is now leaning to bring his head that far around. So he's leaning, he's falling, he's falling out through his shoulders. He's going to be putting too much weight on his inside. He's getting trapped. And so when you start to bring them past the base of the neck, it's too much, it's too far. So what you would want to do is straighten them out back to 12 o'clock and say, let's begin again. So that you have the nuance of being able to fill in all of the little stops, as it were, between 12 o'clock and that, that perfection of the lift from the base of the neck 
that they learn as they come around more deeply. And part of the reason that we invite the horses to bring their nose to the side like that is it is a way for horses to discover the lift from the base of the neck and to really pick up from the base of the neck. Okay. So if we go back to the multiple math lesson, then when you talked about the hands staying in the vertical plane of the horse, did you mean in the same way that you just explained when they're no. overflexing? Okay. So in the multiple math lesson, you're thinking about, so the horse is going to be turning on an arc. Mm -hmm. You're teaching the choreography of the turn where you're on the outside of the turn. Mm -hmm. And so you're on the left, there's something, there's a jacket over on the fence to the right that you would like to get to, but there's a horse between you, you know, and the <laughs> path that you'd like to be on. With many horses, if you, when you ask them to make that turn, they will turn by going forward onto their front end. Mm -hmm. And because you're on the outside of the turn and have greater distance to travel, you will end up being left behind. Mm -hmm. And so you, the human, will feel as though the horse is pushing through you or pulling on you because he's now ahead of you. Rude horse. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the horse being rude. It has everything to do with you're on the outside of the turn and you have more distance to travel. So what you want is for the horse to discover that he can rock back before he walks off. You want a shift of balance back, and then he can walk off. And when he walks off into that turn, you will be together because the weight shift creates a connection between the two of you. And you will now, and you're building a change in the balance that is just extraordinary. So you're thinking about there's an arc, that there's a, a turn that the perfect horse would be on. And I want to feed my horse as I use the food delivery to map out that turn. I want to place my hand on the arc of the circle that the perfect horse would be on. And that's, that's the guide. And what many people do at first when they're doing this is they place the food way out in front of the horse, which defeats the purpose of the lesson because you want the, the horse you want the horse to discover the rock back. And when you place your hand too far forward, all it does is it pulls the horse onto the forehand. And the beauty of this lesson is you're teaching, a, I want to say complex choreography, but it's just a basic turn. You're teaching it using the food delivery. It's such a gentle, kind way to teach it. And, and, and it's such a sneaky, sneaky way to teach it. And what you want is for the horse to discover. This is a body awareness lesson. So, you know, body explorations aren't just for humans. They're for horses as well. So I'm not going to give the horse the answer. I'm not going to use my leading tools to say to the horse, back up and now turn. What I want to do is set up a puzzle that allows my horse to figure out the weight shift back because a puzzle that you solve yourself is a puzzle that you own, is an answer that you own. 
if I tell him the answer, he's not going to be aware of the weight shift. But when he discovers it, he's going to own it and he's going to use it. Okay. Yeah. So, so turn. my turn. I, I oh. have other stuff, but I'll, yeah. I'll, your turn. All right. Well, it's really interesting because, you know, you're talking about you're sort of coming out of the closet and saying that 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 you don't, you know, in terms of the body awareness explorations, that it, this was something that you weren't that interested in or comfortable with. And, you know, it's sort of, there's so many closets that we all can live in, which is a great, great image. And then also that for me, that the body, the body awareness in part comes from that playful games that we played as children where we pretended that we were horses. And all of this is related to what I wanted to talk about and share today. But I'm gonna start by reading a very, very long quote. But I'm going to make you wait until next time to find out what it is. In the meantime, today we talked about two major topics. First, the body awareness explorations, which are very much something that I use in my teaching. And then we had a discussion of the multiple mat lesson, which brought us to a topic which I'm sure we're going to return to many times, and that's what is bend. It was good of Dominique to link these two topics together, the body awareness with the multiple mat lesson and and the discussion of bend, because they really are very interrelated. When you explore what bend means for you through the body awareness explorations, it really enriches your understanding of what it means for your horse. And it helps you to look for those nuances of detail that really help a horse find a balance, a way of moving, a way of organizing his own body, which reduces the strain and stress on his joints. And that's important in terms of long-term soundness. And speaking of soundness and sounding like things, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but if you want to learn more, do take a look at the resources that are available to you at my website, theclickercenter.com. There are the online clinics that we've been talking about. There are the books, including my new book, Modern Horse Training. There's my blog, which you can find at theclickercenterblog.com. And of course, there are the original DVD lessons and so much more. So in this podcast, we talked about the multiple mat lesson. I mean, there are many, many, many ways that you can use more than one mat when you are are training your horse. This is a particular lesson that teaches the choreography of leading. And it's something that we've looked at in detail in the coaching sessions that are part of the online clinics. So if you want to see what it is that we're talking about, if you want more in-depth training, do please take a look at the online clinics. They're just a great, great way to learn. And if you're interested in the Feldenkrais work, Anita Schnee is the practitioner that I work with. So in addition to being a skilled Feldenkrais practitioner, Anita is very familiar with my work, and she knows how to tailor her sessions to make them especially relevant to all of us who are 
working with horses in this way. Anita gives awareness through movement lessons twice a month via Zoom. If you would like more information about these sessions, email me and I will connect you with Anita. And if you're curious, but you don't know what an awareness through movement session is like or how that would work over the internet, you can listen to an interview with Anita that we did. That's episodes 144 and 145. And in that interview, Anita shared with us a short ATM session. So you can really experience how that would work over the internet. And so next week, I'll share what I hope will be a really fun surprise. And in the meantime, train well and have fun with your horses.